All right, let's go. So we've got, if you want to in your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Mark 1. That's where we're going to be today. Um, Moving out of this, I've got like a deep burden that I have to share with you in the fact that apparently there was some misunderstanding from last week in my message in one of my illustrations. Um, Rachel and I are not expecting right now. So if that confused anyone, I just want to make sure that's very clear. Um, We are not expecting. That is Zach and Leah that are expecting. Praise God almighty that that is the case. So I just want to make sure that is as clear and crystal clear as possible. So please don't think that. We are not expecting. Tinley and Edie are enough, are enough. Amen and amen. Um, So, you know, it's funny that that came up because actually that is my life, is trying to like control my mentality within my head to just simply chase squirrels within my mind all the time. If you could like literally track kind of my progression of thought, it would look like a squirrel in the middle of the road, just kind of dashing back and forth, not sure, like, should I go to this side, this side, this side, the car's coming, you duck. It's just like, that's my life in my head. So you probably have picked that up in my, um, in my preaching at times. But, you know, my typical day of work is trying to find that balance between what's most important, identify what's most important, actually accomplish what's most important instead of doing what's most fun. So just kind of just letting you in on, on what a day in my head looks like is, you know, like this week I was writing discipleship curriculum. We're going to do a whole group discipleship. We actually have that discipleship meeting coming up here um, after church today. Uh, if, if you choose to go through discipleship, which I hope that you do, that's your chance to really dig in. We're going to be going through um, unpacking a character of God series, talking about God's characteristics. And so I'm part of that writing team to do that. I mean, that's super important. But there's also ministry that needs to be done, the chicken parmesan hoagies at Big Jim's down in the run, and sometimes that might be more fun. Um, there's, you know, there's always that need to stay focused when I'm writing, you know, when I'm sermon prepping and sermon writing and I'm studying and unpacking scripture, but there's just this call to me constantly to complete the wordle puzzle of the day. And I am undefeated so far, so take that for what it is. I might cheat sometimes, but you know, that is what it is. Um, And then, you know, there are also times, too, where you actually just need to get to the meat of the sermon, and you rather just, like, portray your good looks and your charisma and personality in front of the in front of the um, congregation. And so let me keep going because you understand where we're going. So anyway, so when we get distracted, though, it typically demonstrates, like, our value, on what we have to get done, what's most important, the need that needs to be addressed. And sometimes we're like, you know what, I don't really want to deal with this right now, or I don't really understand whatever is most important right now. And so it's easy for us just to to create that avoidance. Like, you know what, I'm not going to deal with it right now. Or there's this uncomfort. Or if it's not fun, it's like, let me go do something fun. Let me do that instead. Or just sometimes it's just easier to deal with what's in front of us. You know, we know we have to do this, but I keep getting people that call me, text me, or these needs that arise. And so let me do all these other things, and I never seem to address what's most important. One of my mentors titled that The Tyranny of the Urgent. The Tyranny of the Urgent. And that was a great like leadership principle that I learned when I was a principal Um, to ignore the tyranny of the urgent and stay focused on what's most important. The problem is is the tyranny of urgent, a lot of times urgent needs, urgent expressions of help or whatever it may be, they're not bad things. A lot of times the tyranny of the urgent, when I'm trying to stay focused on certain tasks, they're decently good things. But the problem is, is they, they scream the loudest, and so they lose their rightful place. And, you know, we can laugh about work. We can laugh about, you know, this happens at school where you have a big project and all these other things get thrown at you. We can laugh about that, you know, because the world of the puzzle of the day is fun and, and, and pretty meaningless. But the problem is, is, you know, 
we begin to look at it and we begin to see that, man, I, I didn't get done what I needed to get done. The most important thing that was in front of me never got addressed. But then we kind of apply that to life and we realize, man, you know, within our life, there are some very important things in front of us. But there are times that we follow that same urgent principle of taking care of the needs and the cares and the burdens that aren't necessarily addressing the most important thing. You know, we find that we want our needs met. We have deficiencies that we want covered. We have emptiness that needs filled. And guess when we want it done? We want it done now. But then again, we never get to the main point. And so sadly in life, we can find ourselves spending time meeting every need that arises only to realize that guess what happens? More needs arise. Wait, I'm going to get to that project with school, but I got to answer this text message first. And so you answer the text message and then you go back to the project at school or work and then guess what happens? An another text message comes in or another email comes or another need happens and we see this constant downward spiral at times of needing needs outwardly and then also at times inwardly. And then when we realize in life at times, we've got to be very careful because we can get to the end and then in desperation, we ultimately realize that our deepest need was never attended to. But we met all these other needs, but we're missing the most pressing one being addressed. Today, Jesus addresses that. Today in Mark 1, Jesus makes it very clear to us what the most pressing need is. He lays it out, and not only does he lay it out, but only in the way that our Savior can, he demonstrates it as well. He lays it out to us, hey, this is what I did when I was in a similar situation. So the objective of the day is every person must make a decision. So we are going to be confronted with a decision today, all of us. And we have to make the decision. Why? Because vending machine Jesus isn't a healthy snack. Vending machine Jesus isn't a healthy snack. So let's jump into Mark 1, 35 through 39. So if you're willing and able, I would love for you to stand as we, as we read the Word of God. The Word of God is of utmost importance. This is one of the most important things that we do in corporate worship is corporately read the Word of God together. This is what we stand on. If you listen to anything today, don't let that squirrel run crazy right now. Let it stay true and focused. All right, for this is the word of the Lord. Mark 1, verse 35. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded, deserted place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him, and they found Jesus, and they said to him, Jesus, what are you doing? Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also. For that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all of Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord Stands forever. Amen and amen. You may be seated. 
So we see here, verse 38, Jesus drops it extremely hard. He says, let us go somewhere else to the towns. What did he come here for? So I came here so that I may preach. Now we've talked about just practical senses of our practical steps for studying scripture is to look for repetitive words. Well, in Mark 1, we see this word preach come up six times. So there's obviously a repetition here. Twice it's used by John the Baptist, who preceded Jesus and kind of prepared the way for Jesus. Once we see this word preach come up, because Jesus healed this leper, the leper was so excited about being healed, he goes and proclaims Jesus' healing to everyone. And then Jesus Jesus uses this word three times within this chapter. Twice in in the section of verses that we just read. And he says, I want to go preach. And then it says that he went and preached. And so Mark is trying to draw our attention to something. Through repetition, authors in Scripture always are trying to focus your eyes onto something. And so we find that focus of of this preaching, which this preaching means is specifically, typically used on the proclamation of the gospel and matters pertaining to it. So we're talking about the good news. So what is this good news that we're talking about? Well, our eyes have to drift back to Mark 1, verses 14 and 15, which are going to be up here on the screen. And we actually talked about this a little bit when we met the last time because Jesus said, hey, listen, here I am. Now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God, proclaiming the good news of the gospel. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Here Jesus is pointing to himself. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in this good news. Repent and believe in this good news. So we see here this twofold peace, this good news that Jesus is proclaiming. And he's saying, hey, there's two steps to this. There is something that you have to do. It is repentance And it is belief, and it's very important that we understand exactly what Jesus is pointing to, because if we miss this piece, then we're going to miss the actual application of what we're talking about today. So Jesus is saying here, repent. So I I drew a example of what repentance looks like. Now, you have to give me a little bit of grace here. This is like Google Drive drawing, okay? That's about all I got in me. Like, you're lucky it's not like a pencil sketch with a... You know, and then I had to erase it in a crayon or something like that. So give me a little bit of grace. All right, so this is what repentance should look like. All right, so let's make sure it's very clear. We define the word repentance of moving in one direction and it's turning away from. And of course, if you turn away from something, you turn to something else. All right, so that is repentance, turning away from and turning Two. So here, let's define my very basic drawing here. The red line is, this is the point where you repent, is the red dot there. You see my U-turn sign there. Moving in the red direction is demonstrating Satan's domain on your life. This is where we as people are warring against who God is, the image of God that we are explicitly made in. And we are rolling against, pushing against who God is and what our image is towards essentially building our own kingdom, becoming who we are, doing what we want to do, taking the bricks and making them look just like we want them to look like. All right, so that's the red line. And then we turn when we repent. And that's what Jesus is saying. Repent and believe. Turn away from this and move towards me. Now, have to be very, very clear in the understanding that this is the, the, the expectation of repentance here. It is when you turn, you're moving in this direction, you're building your own kingdom, here it is. The problem is, if you talk to someone who is in this, who's moving away from who they are in the image of God, it is like running into a burning building, And you're like, you know what? I'm going to fix the problems of my life and I'm going to do what I need to do to make this right. And I know this building's on fire, but man, I'm going to put this fire out. 
And all you walking in is one of those little beach buckets that you have when you build little sand castles on the beach. And you're like, oh, I'm going to get a little bit of water and throw it on this thing. And you're moving in here, you're like, I'm going to fix it, a little bit more water. No, I ain't working. Let me get a little bit more water. And you're in the toils of life trying to fix this problem. And finally, you realize, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to turn from this and go. Now, the thing is, is that the intent here is a sprint out of the burning building. All right, this is not what you typically see in our action hero movies, where it's like a slow, steady pimp walk out that building. It's like, oh, it's burning behind me, but I'm, yep, it's still burning. And then it explodes, and I'm still just walking. Now, listen, if something is on fire, and there are cans of gasoline and buckets of ether and whatever else, I'm running as fast as I possibly can from point A to point B. Jesus is saying here, I came to preach repentance. The good news is repentance. Turn from this attempt to build your own life. Turn and run as fast as you can, not Vin Diesel style, but just like I'm asking you to, run as fast as you can to me. That is what true repentance is. But he doesn't stop there. Then he says, belief. And that's what we want here with our Cultivate series because what Jesus is not saying is this is not blind faith. I am not gonna give you something to believe in that hasn't been tested and true. I would say blind faith is stupid. Because, for instance, you walked in today. These pews, I don't know, ladies, how old are these pews? Maybe 100 years old? At least 100 years old. Some of you didn't know that, and you're questioning your decision already and sitting in them. All right, but these pews are at least 100 years old. But yet nobody had an issue coming in here and sitting down in one. These are way better made than those metal chairs in there. But yet some people are like, I ain't sitting in these pews. No, I'm just kidding. They didn't say that. The, um, but you sat down in them. Why? Because you've had experiences with chairs before. And you're like, you know, it, it looks pretty solid, like some type of like heavy oak wood. You know, typically church pews hold people for at least a little bit. So, you know, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to plop down right here. Because maybe somebody else was sitting in there. But the thing is, it's like you didn't even process through all that because you've had experiences in the past that supported your decision here to sit down. Now, if one would have, you'd have sat down in one and it had completely fallen apart, then it would have questioned your decision for sitting down in chairs the rest of the time. But yet, what did it do? It held you. You had a belief in where you sat today because of experiences that you've had in the past. And what is Jesus saying here? But he's saying, repent. Turn away from you building your own life. Turn to me and believe because I'm going to give you something to believe in. It's not just blind faith. And I'll prove it to you. And just like always, what did Jesus do? But he proved it to us because we keep going into verse 39. And so in verse 39, he makes this, Mark makes this very quick summary statement that's so easier for us to glaze over. And if you ever read Mark's writing compared to Luke's writing, Luke drives me mad. If you are a detail-oriented person that needs all the answers, go for the love of Jesus, go read Luke. That's your book, all right? Mark is more for me. Mark's my kind of guy. Quick, short, to the point, but we can't breeze over this verse because there's so much wrapped up into it. So for verse 39, and he went to their synagogue. So Jesus said he wanted to go preach, and guess what Jesus did? That's where he went. He went to go preach. So he went to their synagogues throughout all of Galilee, and what was he doing? Preaching and casting out Demons. Now, we can't miss this. We've got to pay attention to this. So I will confess that back in my younger days, I was a big, and I'm going to say it completely wrong. I'll change my term here in a second. I was a wrestling fan. Not wrestling. We're talking about wrestling, professional wrestling. All right, WWE 
tell me there's some people in here that like WWE. Raise your hand if you're bold enough. I see some people. Amen. Thank you. There's some people in here. All right. I was a Goldberg fan. I was going to put a picture of Goldberg up here, but a grown man with big muscles and a Speedo was not going to be appropriate for church. So I did not throw that up there. But I was a Goldberg fan. Bill Goldberg was an absolute monster. He would destroy people in the ring. There was a time in the late 90s, I know some of you were not born then, that Goldberg just ruled the world. Now, Goldberg, every wrestler has this finishing move. Well, Goldberg's finishing move it was incredible. I mean, I, I was at Monday Night Nitro at the Carolina Coliseum, and Goldberg did the finishing move, and I almost lost my mind. I just, it was incredible. And what Goldberg would do is he would wrestle his opponent, whatever, he'd make him discombobulated, and he would run, and he'd stomp on the other side of the ring, and he would run at him, and he would spear him as hard as he could. I mean, just open field, tackle, legs up in the air, spear him, knock him down. And of course, that would just make it even worse. So that was the spear. The spear was only the start. Then what he would do, because professional wrestling's real, right? Amen? All right. Is he would grab the guy and the guy would kind of like get to his feet and he'd stick his head right here and he'd pick another 300-pound man straight up in the air and his legs would be straight up. And then he would fall backwards and then roll over and pin him and win the heavyweight champion of the world. And that was called the jackhammer. So Goldberg, spear and jackhammer was a two-piece finishing move that would just absolutely destroy people. Well, here we see Jesus doing his best Goldberg impression, or maybe Goldberg did Jesus' impression, whatever. But here it is in verse 39 where he says, Jesus went out to preach and cast out demons. We can't miss this. We have to understand here that Jesus is preaching repentance and belief. Well, what is that? Well, when we're trying to build our own world, we're trying to build our own kingdom, and Jesus is saying, stop. Turn away from this and turn to me. What is he doing when we're trying to just constantly build this kingdom where this building is burning and things are about to explode and we just can't figure everything out? And Jesus is saying, no, 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 turn to me. His preaching is directly, directly showing a slap in the face of Satan's domain on our life. He is saying, stop, turn away from this. Turn to me. I've got, I've got it. I've got it taken care of. It's totally in my control. Turn away. And so here Jesus spears Satan in the fact that he is preaching repentance and belief. Turn away. Look at me. Believe in me. I'll give you something to believe in. And it says Jesus wants to confront men with an inward decision. Why? Because we are made in the image of God. Every single human being is made in the image of God. And so Jesus here is proclaiming the fact that I am better than anything he has to offer. So he spears Satan in this, but guess what? He's not finished yet. Because when he was out in Galilee, he preached and then he casted out demons. So he called for the inward decision within us. But then he said, you know what? You need something to believe in. I got you. So whenever he was confronted with someone who was possessed by a demon, the demon would actually acknowledge Jesus for who he was. Now, it was in a way to try to disarm Jesus. But Jesus would know it was a demon and easily cast him out. There's even a story in Mark 5 where it talks about how the townspeople had tried to chain this guy down because it was just so terrible what he was going through. And they couldn't even chain this man down because Satan's domain over this guy was so great. And Jesus walks up and says, who are you? The demon says who he is and says, just go away, and he sends them into some pigs, and that's it. Jesus, his whole purpose 
is to defeat the domain of Satan. It is an utter attack. He is not playing games. He wants to do it inwardly through repentance and outwardly through casting out demons. Jesus is the promised and prophesied Savior that we talked about last week. He is fully God, as it says in Mark 1. He fully wants to flex on Satan. You know, this is something I can get behind. You know, when you're talking about Goldberg and Jesus and combining them together and you're going to see a show and you're going to see a spear and a jackhammer, it's like, all right, let me in on this. That's the Jesus I want. All right, that, that's, that's, that's the Jesus. Let me pull up my chair and I'm going to pop my popcorn. Y'all want to come join me? Like, come on, let's go. We're in this together. I'm ready for the show. But the problem is, if you really look at it, Jesus isn't flexing on Satan and his full domain in our lives and in our world for his behalf. He's already won. He's doing it on my behalf. You know, Jesus is fully God as he says he is, and we are fully created in his, in his image as he says we are, then he's here to rescue us from Satan's domain and not just rescue us, but provide us a way to look more and more like him. Problem is that looking more like Jesus doesn't happen by accident. You know, he's not wanting me to just be a passive observer of what he's doing, but he's looking for active followers. You know, followers that is experiencing him for who he really is and not what he can do for me. Not just what he can do for me, but what he, but, but more than that, he doesn't just want me to use him as a vending machine. He doesn't just want to meet my surface level needs. What does Jesus want to do? But fully defeat everything. He wants to meet my most pressing need within my life. The tyranny of the urgent has no tyranny over Jesus. So what do we see? How do we see that in this verse? Well, we have to back up just a little bit more to verse 37. And so we see here, Jesus is praying in the wilderness and Simon runs up to him and some of his companions come up to him and they find him and they say to him, Jesus, what are you doing? This is an epic rebuke. This is not like, hey man, what you up to, man? This is like, Jesus, why are you wasting time out here, man? What are you doing? Do you not realize we, we just, Jesus had just spent the previous night healing people all day, like all night long he was healing people. People were bringing like cousin Johnny who had a twisted ankle up to Jesus and Jesus like, boom, done, yeah. And all these crowds are starting to gather and Jesus was healing and meeting all these needs and all these the, the tyranny of the urgent was, was, was there. And so Jesus got tired and here he is praying. And it's like, Jesus, what are you doing? Don't you see all the people that have needs? You know, for the, to see Jesus meet the needs like that, I would have been one of those guys. I would have been pulling a seat up calling all my cousins and my friends and be like, hey, man, you got your, your rotator cuff still bothering you? Come here, man. I got Jesus over here. That would have been me pulling up. But one of the problems is if you look at verse 39, what does Jesus say he does? Preaches and casts out demons. Utterly destroy the domain of Satan. Not anything about healing. Not anything about healing. You know, healing is an aspect of redemption. And healing demonstrates Jesus' confrontation with Satan. Jesus has no problem healing whatsoever. 
but it demonstrates the confrontation less graphically than the restoration to wholeness of those who had been possessed by demons. Remember, utter destruction of Satan's domain. Healing, provision, blessing. It's all obviously in Jesus' wheelhouse, but it's not, it's not his primary motivator. These things are simply a merciful outflow of what Jesus' main point is. And typically, if you want to really study Mark or any of the Gospels, what do we see? When Jesus was willing to meet felt needs, urgent needs, it was typically in conjunction with a person who had faith, who had demonstrated a level and a willingness for repentance and belief. It wasn't just cosmic candy machine Jesus, vending machine Jesus that he was looking for. You know, I like the show, though. I kind of like vending machine Jesus. kind of hurts me to even think about this. You know, I've got a problem in studying this. I had to ask myself the question. And I'll ask you the same question. How do I facilitate vending machine Jesus in my life and in my heart? Where do I want to like cast aside the like actual work of what Jesus wants to do with the destruction of Satan's domain in my heart? And just, I just want my needs met. I just want... I just want this box checked and this box checked. And like, I'm, I, you know, my stomach's hurting a little bit today. Like, Jesus, you take care of that? All right, good. Thank you. And, you know, there's so many needs that we have. And here's some that are listed. Because like I said earlier, just like in the tyranny of the urgent, like those needs that you take care of, you know, when a friend calls you and they, they want to go out to eat because they're sad about something and that keeps you from getting the project done, like taking care of your friend's not a bad thing. Never a bad thing. But when we take all these like urgent needs and we, we add them up, they, 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 lo- they lose their rightful place. And so here in my life, man, I keep thinking like, okay, if Jesus really wants to attack the domain of darkness in my life and I am to, to stop and turn from and to, and, but I'm like, God, but, but man, like I, I, I really need validation from people. Like, I, I really need to get that attaboy, or I just need safety, or I need security, or I need, I need uh, uh, my bank account to be this, or my career to be this, or my, my health. What about my health, God? Like, what about this purpose? What about this purpose that I'm supposed to be living for to help other people or solve this or do this? Like, but God, don't you care about this? Jesus, don't you care? And there's so many. These might not be yours, but there says in at on there. That covers everything. If you're from Pittsburgh, you know. You can't wiggle out of this. We all have these needs. But guess what? When we get one of these needs taken care of, guess what happens? Another one arises, and another one arises, and another one arises. When Jesus healed people, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Guess what? Lazarus still died again. When he healed somebody for this, the the, the paralyzed guy, guess what? My man could have gone and fallen out a window two days later, and guess what? It was temporary. He could have still been paralyzed again. So we get this like quick fix from candy machine Jesus and we fill it up and we're like, hey God, I just need, you know what? I just need a sense of a purpose right now. (sighs) But then I need it a month from now. You know, so we have to go back to repentance. What does repentance look like in light of this? And so this is what the expectation of repentance says to turn from, to turn to, to run from the building burning as fast as you possibly can. But let's be honest, this is actually what it probably looks like in real life. All right. 
this is more like me right now, okay? This is, this is kind of what my heart is because, you know, I, I turn and I'm like, yes, Jesus, yes, yes, but hold on, wait, I need to, hold on, I got to take care of this thing right here. And hold on, I'm coming, like I'm coming, I'm coming, but I, I need to make sure that my career is handled or my school is handled or my this is handled or this or that or whatever it may be. My productivity, am I, am I, is my purpose good enough, Jesus? Is it good? Like, but I'm, move, I'm, not, I'm not moving in that direction. I'm just wandering around. And I'm like, man, okay, so I've got something I've got to figure out. Like, what, what is the issue here? And the, the beautiful thing is for a lot of people that have confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are a Christian. You are saved. But man, Satan still wants to derail you in any way he can to keep you from moving towards who Jesus is. And he's going to throw some really good things at you and try anything he can to distract you. Man, that career looks really good. But if I follow this career route, am I following Jesus? Man, that relationship with that person who I don't know if is a believer or not. They're really cool, though, God. They're really cool, Jesus. They're a lot of fun to be with. But is, is, is that moving me forward or is that moving me to the side? And the awesome thing about this and, and something we have to acknowledge is the fact is there's a lot of grace in Jesus. There's a lot of unmerited favor. But the beautiful thing is, this is what we want right here, the next one. This is what we want to see. This is where we begin to highlight the grace that Jesus provides. This is where we highlight the rest that Jesus provides. This is where, as we begin to kind of squeeze in those boundaries, this is where maturity begins to happen. These blue lines, for me, that's my accountability partners. That's people speaking into me. That's me having in-depth conversations with, with my wife, Rachel, to talk about the things that I'm chasing that I don't need to be chasing. This is where she speaks into my life about my need for validation, or my need for autonomy, or my need for purpose. And the thing is, and, and Tyler Abernathy actually said it in our discipleship group the other day, he said, you know what, men? He said, there are some things that I thought about as I was reading through Mark. We're doing a study through Mark and discipleship. And he said, there's things that I worried about 10 years ago that I don't even think about anymore. And what, we, what he was saying was, is these things are now on the outside of those blue lines. And guess what? The grace of Jesus covers those. And the beautiful thing is, Jesus says, in rest, he says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. This is not about doing more good works are more good things to earn your way to heaven from point A to point B. In some ways, what this is doing is those cares of the world that are floating around outside, those needs that you have that may be distracting you from fully resting in Jesus, it's not about doing more good things. It's about letting them go. It's less work. It's more rest I don't have to be a 25, 20-something-year-old single person. You mean I don't have to be a 25, 20-something single person and worry about getting married to try to make me whole? No, you can let that go. You mean Jesus is enough for me? He's enough if I seek after him that if I'm not making whatever salary you think is what's going to make you valuable, no, you, you can let that go too. And he's saying, come to me, run to me, 
I will meet all your needs. I am sufficient enough for you. And when you start to let things go, you'll feel my grace and you'll experience my rest. For I am Jesus. I am the Savior. I am God. I've got you. And why can he say that so confidently? Because guess what Jesus did? He met our deepest need. We say confidently as followers of Jesus Christ, Christ abolished death. Christ abolished death. Christ defeated death. If Satan had any hold on anyone, it's in death. Christ abolished death. And if he can defeat the number one thing that no one, no other conceived God can, he can do anything. And he's freely and willingly offering that to all of us. And we can rest in that. So we're confronted with a decision. If you are not connected to Jesus Christ, we've got a decision to make. If you are connected to Jesus Christ, we got a decision to make. Because the objective of today was every person must make a decision. Because vending machine Jesus isn't a healthy snack. When we just look for Jesus to meet these felt needs, that's all we're wanting him for. We're just going to have more needs arise. And especially as you progress in life, more needs are going to arise because life gets harder and harder. And so we have to make a decision today. What is that decision? If you are not connected to Jesus Christ, if you have not confessed with your mouth, stated with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that is what Jesus is calling us to do. That is the ultimate purpose of what he wants. He wants to defeat Satan's domain of darkness in our life. There is an open invitation for you to do that at any time. Being a Christian is the most inclusive, exclusive club ever. It's open to everyone. That's the beauty of Christianity. It's open. Are you willing to say that today? That is the decision that we have to make. Repentance and belief. Repentance and belief. It's so simple, it's mind-boggling. It's like, man, shouldn't I have to be like a good person? No, you don't have to be a good person. No, don't even try. It's not even worth it. You're not. I'm not either. That's why Jesus is here, to do it for us. So if you're disconnected from Jesus, that's your, that's your decision you have to make. Now, if you're connected to Jesus, we have decisions to make. We have to decide within ourselves, what's that craving? What's that vending machine snack that we want so bad from Jesus? What's that felt need that we need met? We need autonomy. We need validation. We need purpose. We need this. We need that. We need this healing or that healing or this healing or whatever it else is. What is it that we're craving? And we keep throwing at Jesus as they're up there on the screen. We need control, lack of disturbance, peace, whatever it is. What's keeping us from moving more firmly from point A to point B? Is it that relationship that you're in? Is it that that, that dream that you're chasing? That might be really good, but it might be distracting you slightly. So we're going to, here in a little bit, move into a time of just contemplation and reflection. But before we do, we're going to close it out and we're going to bring up um, verse 35. And, you know, as your pastor, I was reading this verse and I've always kind of misinterpreted this verse. It says, early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. And I always kind of, you know, took that verse as like, man, Chris, you got to be more disciplined. 
You got to work harder. So like one of my felt needs that I'm chasing is discipline. I got to get up early before the sun gets up, just like Jesus did, and go pray. That's a good thing, right? Yeah, it is. It is a good thing. But through this study, I began to realize something. You know, Jesus had just spent all day healing. And crowds were starting to gather and people were starting to pay attention. They were like, yeah, Jesus, heal more and heal more and heal more. And, and Jesus goes to bed night, that night. And we know through seeing this pattern in scripture that, that healing tired Jesus out physically. And here after this day, Jesus goes to bed and it's obvious that Jesus is tired. And I don't know about you, but I make horrible decisions when I'm tired. Horrible decisions. And so here we see tired Jesus. And I'm sure there was some frustrated Jesus here because people are obviously just coming to him as a sideshow. Hey, Jesus, another vending machine snack. Oh, Jesus, another vending machine snack. He's like, man, these people are missing the point. So here we have frustrated Jesus, not fulfilling his purpose. And I'm sure there was a little just disenchantment with the disciples because they just keep bringing them. So he's probably let down Jesus. And he might even be a little bit angry Jesus. Surely it would be hangry Jesus, right? I'm sure he, has he eaten? I don't know. But here Jesus is asleep. He wakes up early. And what does he do? He goes to pray. Yeah. The problem is there's this word in here where it says to the secluded place. When Jesus was confronted with felt needs not being met, where does he go? But he goes to the wilderness. He goes to a place where felt needs can not be met. He goes to the very place where actually just a few verses before this in Mark, he was actually most in his most vulnerable state where Satan actually came to tempt him. And what did Satan tempt him with? Hey, Jesus, I know you're hungry. I know you're felt need. Just turn those rocks in the bread. Just meet your need, Jesus. I can help you with that, Jesus. And here we have Jesus in his most vulnerable state, in a spot where his felt needs can not be met. And what does he do? But he goes to commune with the Father because he knew that's who could sustain him. Man, when I read that, I just broke down in Panera. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Here Jesus is saying, I can meet your deepest need. And then he demonstrates what to do. Jesus went to the Father. Jesus laid it out to the Father. He didn't try to meet it himself. And I'll tell you, that is something I have been struggling with for the past week. Man, I'm hungry. Let me go get a bite. Wait a minute. Let me stop. Let me reflect on how good God is. So in your, in, we're going to move into a, a time of just reflection. You've got a Connect card probably in front of you somewhere. Um, we would love to connect with you. If you're new, it's got a chance for you to fill out information you can fill it out if you want to. We would love to connect with you. If you don't feel comfortable filling out and giving us your information, then that's fine too. But one thing we would love you to do is if you would use that space down at the bottom or a little bit of the white space on the back, you know, the challenge today is what is that decision? What is that one need that, man, if you could just let go and lay it over, you'd be way better off. You know it's a distraction. Maybe you want to put it on here and you just have something 
in writing, sometimes when we take it from our brains to our hands to the pen and put it on paper, it means a lot more. What is that one way we can pray for you? We love to pray for you. And typically we spend time on Mondays praying for you. If you have a prayer request that you need us to bear with you in prayer, we count that as an honor. So write that on there. You don't have to put your name. You can just put the prayer request. We won't even try to guess. We'll just pray for it. Jesus is, he is the Savior, and he is fully God. And with that, he can fully meet our needs. Take some time, let's reflect, and then the band will will take over. Jesus, we rest in you. Lord, you are worthy to rest in. You can bear the burdens that we have. We know that your ultimate purpose is to to completely destroy the domain of Satan on our hearts. Lord, I pray that we would hand over the things that we keep holding on to that are keeping us from moving in your direction the feelings, the wants, the hurts, whatever it may be. Let us lay them at your feet. For you're the great, the great physician, the great healer, the great comforter. As you suffered on the cross, we know it's not going to be easy as we move forward, but man, serving you is incredible. Lord, let us look more and more like you. Lord, thank you for this congregation. Thank you for these people. Lord, I pray for those that are here that are just bearing burdens. Lord, I pray that we together would bear them so much easier when we can share those with each other. God, you're an incredible God, far beyond anything we can comprehend. We worship and we praise you. Lord, let the worship that's about to come out of our mouths be pleasing to you. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Amen.